Good morning, Garden City. Good morning. Hey, just wanted to start off this morning by uh, passing along uh, Sunday morning greetings to you from Pastor Coach Kemp. He uh, is preaching in another church this week, actually was also last week. He wanted to make sure that you guys knew that he missed you and uh, is looking forward to seeing you soon. Although, the next two weeks, he and the family will be gone on vacation, so it'll be like a month that uh, Pastor Coach is out. But no that he loves you, he misses you, and he's wanted me to make sure that you guys knew that, and I will then send it back to him if that's okay with you, that you miss him. Okay, I'm going to send it back because you, uh, you let me. All right, so uh, Pastor Coach says hi. Uh, good morning and welcome. Thanks for uh, bringing the church here this morning. Good to see uh, all your lovely smiling faces. Thanks for being friendly and connecting and uh, worshiping with us. A couple things that are going on just want to put out in front of us. Uh, the men's, uh, we've got some like men's events coming up. We had a men's breakfast like last week, which was awesome. And a men's breakfast is coming up June 17th, 8 a.m. at Akron Family Restaurant. You can sign up in the back. Stacy's back there, or you can sign up online. Also, uh, you guys know Jasmine. Jasmine is um, here sporadically throughout the year. She's a student uh, in college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, studying ministry. You'll, you'll know Jasmine when you see her, but Jasmine is doing a summer internship with us as a part of her ministry degree. And uh, actually right now, uh, don't get up and go to it because I would be offended, but right now Jasmine is teaching a class in the conference room on prayer and evangelism. And she'll actually be teaching that same class next Sunday at 9 a.m. So if you were interested in that, again, you can sign up in the back. And uh, Stacy will get you signed up. But Jasmine is awesome. She'll be leading worship with us this summer and uh, teaching and doing a whole bunch of things as a part of her internship. And we're just pumped to have her. So you'll see more of Jasmine. Um, also, last thing is this. Anybody ever attended Porsche Rocker in Highland Square? It's like a day-long music festival. There's food and games, all sorts of fun things. Well, every year they move to like a different part of the neighborhood. And so last year, last couple of years, we've had like a couple different sites where we grill out, we make snow cones, and we're just there to bless everybody. Had a phenomenal time last year. We would love to find one of y'all who were in the footprint of uh, Porch Rocker this year. So I'm going to read some street names for you. And there is, yeah, there's a map. If you live in there, you know it. I'm not going to read the names because you know. If you live in any of those streets in that vicinity, we'd love to talk with you if you were willing to just let us set up camp in your front yard and uh, bless the neighborhood on behalf of Garden City Church. So come talk to us if that is you. Okay, so with that, am I a little bit loud? Am I too loud? Am I okay? I'm okay? Okay, I'm loud. To, I feel like I don't like the sound of my own voice. I just feel loud to myself this morning. Okay, so we're going to dig in. If you have your Bibles, uh, you're free to and welcome to turn to Ruth chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning, kind of continuing in the line of where we've been the last several weeks. So uh, turn to Ruth chapter 1 and we'll get there in just a second. But I want to go back in time here to when I was, I believe I was 16 years old. Recently had received my license, had started driving, and I don't know what, what happened specifically, but the family car that we had found its way into the shop to get fixed. And as our family car was in the shop to get fixed, I don't know how this worked, because no, no repair shop that I take my car to ever gives me a loaner car. Anybody ever get a loaner car? You must feel like in a certain status or tax bracket to get a loaner car. I don't get one now, right? But our family car was in the shop and we got a loaner car and it was a Chevy Lumina. Anybody ever driven a Chevy Lumina? Uh, sucker packs some punch, doesn't it? 
Man, so we got this Chevy Lumina. I'm a young driver here. And nobody had to explain this to me, but I knew as soon as I got behind the wheel of the Chevy Lumina, I knew that something was different regarding driving this compared to driving my family car. And I wouldn't have been able to verbalize it this way, but, but looking back on it, here's what happened. I recognized that the Chevy Lumina and I were in a short-term relationship. There was no commitment. I wasn't responsible for the engine or the brakes or any part of this car. All right, short-term, non-committal relationship. On the other hand, I was in, uh, I didn't own it, but I, I was in a longer-term, more committal relationship with our family car. In that I had a vested interest in the engine and the tires and the brakes and all of those things working well, because if they didn't, my family would have to take care of that, right? There's a difference between how we treat things if we're in a short-term, non-committal relationship compared to how we treat things when we're in a longer-term, committed relationship, right? So here's how that played out with the Chevy Lumina that week that we had it as a loaner car, okay? Um, we, I don't, don't judge me for this, right? I, I was 16. But me and my brother would take the car out. We would go to a local parking lot, and we would do, like, donuts in the parking lot. This is midsummer, but you can still do donuts if you got enough horsepower under the hood, you can do it in a parking lot. We never did that with the family car because we knew that we, like, we had a vested interest in the family car over time. But the Lumina is going back to somebody else, so we're going to do some donuts, right? Ever heard the phrase, um, uh, pedal to the metal? It's like describe somebody who's ambitious and they just keep going, but it comes from like literally like slamming your foot on the gas of a car and like, like really making it go. Right? I, I never did pedal to the metal with our family car. I don't know what it could do zero to 60 in, in, in like three seconds. But I do know with the Lumina, right? Because I, I didn't have a vested interest in the long-term care of the engine. So pedal to the metal in the Lumina, right? We just, we just used and abused that poor, poor car, right? Never screeched the tires with a family car, but you better believe we screeched some tires with the rental Lumina, there's a difference between how we treat things that we are not in a committed relationship with compared to how we treat things that we are in a committed, ongoing relationship with. Am I right? As a 16-year-old, I knew this. Nobody had to explain it to me. Um, similarly, like you guys know that our family was away a couple weeks ago. We were on vacation, and, uh, and we got to stay in a house of a friend who built a house from scratch in a vacation. It was Hilton Head. Just built a house. Pretty awesome. And uh, when I came back, I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, so and he, he actually built it and he's selling the house. And I was curious. I said, I said to my friend, like, why are you selling the house? Why not just keep it and make it a vacation rental? And you know what he said? He said, Brian, do you know how people treat vacation rentals? <laughs> right? Things that we would never do in our house. Things we would never track in. Ways we would never treat our appliances. He said, people, right, don't, when you're in a, he didn't say it this way, but here's essentially what he said. When you're in a short-term, non-committal relationship with a house, you trash the house, which is typically what happens to short-term vacation rentals. So he said, it's better for me to build it and sell it. And because of my experience with the Lumina, I nodded and said, yes, I understand. I get it, right? So here, here's the phrase that we're going to repeat several times this morning. We're going to go back to it, but I just want us to get it right off of the bat this morning. Here's, here's the phrase. Commitment is the environment where good happens to everything and everyone. Commitment is the environment where good 
happens. So you should be in Ruth chapter 1 if you're going to follow along. And I want to give you the context of the book of Ruth, just so that the characters make sense regarding where we're going to go this morning. Context of Ruth, the book of Ruth, here's, here's where the story begins. Naomi is a central character, especially in chapter 1 and somewhat throughout the rest of the book. But Naomi is a woman who's married to a man, and they've got two sons. And they live in Israel. Right? And at some point, famine hits the land of Israel, and Naomi and her husband and her two sons leave Israel, and they flee to Moab because there isn't famine there, and that's a safer, a more hospitable place for them to live. And so, right, as they then make their home in Moab, then their two sons marry Moabite women. And things seem to be going well for Naomi, her husband, her two sons, and their Moabite wives. Things look to be going quite well. Then at some point, as the story develops, then Naomi's husband dies. And then after that, her son, one of her sons dies. And then after that, her other son dies. And the story begins to take a different twist and a different turn. And in in chapter 1, it's very clear that Naomi is jaded. That's a word that I use. There's no Hebrew word for jaded, as far as I understand, right? But, but, but Sister Bear is a jaded individual at this point in the story, right? Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, let's let Naomi describe what's going on inside of her for herself, lest I superimpose my narrative on her, right? Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, here's Naomi speaking about herself. She, Naomi said to them, she says, hey, guys, don't call me Naomi. But it's your, Naomi's your name, right? Yeah, not anymore. Stop calling me Naomi. Call me instead Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Okay? Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Here's why. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi's hurting and she admittedly is a bitter woman. And so here's what Naomi is going to do. She's got no life left in Moab. Everything is gone. The famine has moved away from Israel. And so Naomi has decided she's going to go back home. But before she goes back home, here's what she says to her daughters-in-law. Daughters-in-law, we've been in a relationship. We've been a family. But right now, I'm going home. Y'all stay. I go. You stay. Just breaking it down, plain, simple English, right? Naomi is going to break relationships. She's going to cut those bonds and those ties, and she's going to separate herself from her daughters-in-law. Her husband's dead. Her sons are dead. Her daughters-in-law are alive, but Naomi says, see you later, alligator, right? I don't think she said that, but she's, she's breaking relationship, okay? Now... Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. I want to read this verse here. It's super powerful. Now, keep in mind, I said we're going to read Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. I didn't say we're going to read Naomi chapter 1, verse 14. Did you catch that? This book is not named after Naomi. She's not the central character upon which the light is shining, and the Lord is the Lord's not illuminating Naomi as the one from whom we have a lot to learn. Right? But he is illuminating Ruth, 
whom the book is named after, and we're going to see that Ruth does it differently than Naomi does. Ruth chapter 1 verse 14, right? Naomi has said, I go, you stay, we're going to break this thing off, it's probably best for everybody. Then, verse 14, they, the daughters-in-law, lifted up their voices and wept again. Because they're sad. They're sad to say goodbye to their mother-in-law. And Orpah, daughter-in-law number one, kissed her mother-in-law. And then Orpah goes back home, somewhere else in Moab. But Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth is doing something different here than Naomi, and she's doing something different here than Orpah. Ruth is clinging. Now, um, in our culture, clingy, clingy is not typically a positive word used to describe somebody. Anybody ever been called clingy? Wants to admit it? You don't, don't admit it. It's, just not, it's not positive, right? If you're a clingy person, we in our culture associate that to be a bad thing. I just want to, sometimes words change over time in culture. So I just wanted to verify this. So this week I said to, I said, Megan, um, I said, you're clingy. I just wanted to make sure that I knew I was using the word right, right? I said, I didn't say that. I said, Megan, if I were to call you clingy, how would you respond? And she said, not well. Okay, so we're all clear. Clingy in our culture is not a good word used to describe somebody. But right here in Ruth 1.14, where Ruth is clingy to Naomi, clinging, cling on, not letting go, clingy here is a beautiful, beautiful word. And it is a kind description of a person here for Ruth to be clingy. Now let me explain this. Let's, let's back up a little bit just to, to get to the goodness of clingy. In the Old Testament, there's this word. The word is hesed. Um, hesed is a, one of those wide-ranging, meandering words in Hebrew that means a whole lot. But it always means something in the realm of kindness and love. Or, as it's often described, loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Now remember, I think I just finished seminary. I was reading, um, in, uh, I was reading um, a commentary on the book of Malachi by a guy by the name of John Oswalt, Old Testament scholar. And in that book, he gave what I have, I have never come across a better description of the word hesed in Hebrew. Here's what John Oswald says regarding hesed. He says, hesed in the Old Testament means this. It is God's passionate covenant loyalty. Period. Passion, God's passionate covenant loyalty. Meaning passionate that God, like God is not a stoic philosopher grandfather sitting distanced and like just observing things from a emotional distance. Like that's not who he is. Like God is passionate and in his has said he is like his heart is fully engaged with all the passion that God has. Passion for what? Well, for, for covenant. What's covenant? Well, covenant is kind of like contract, like a contract between two parties but it's like on multiple doses of steroids. A covenant was literally signed in blood. There was a ceremony where animals were sacrificed, and the idea was, if both parties do not adhere to what we are agreeing upon here, then may be done to us what has been done to these animals. It's beyond a contract, right? There's no lawyers getting involved to undo a covenant because you don't undo it. That's the Old Testament idea of covenant. And then loyalty is just this ongoing commitment to a particular person. So hesed is God's passionate covenant loyalty. Now, what does hesed do 
in relationship with other people? Answer? It clings. Gets real clingy, right? This is what Ruth is doing. She is showing passionate covenant loyalty to Naomi, who's not showing it to her. But Ruth is showing it to her mother-in-law, which is making her cling. Naomi is ready to drop Ruth and to break it off and to go their separate ways. Ruth is locked in, in clingy fashion, right? Here it is again. Commitment is the environment where good things can happen. Um, premarital counseling is something that I do fairly regularly for couples that I marry. Meaning if I'm going to marry you, we are doing premarital counseling. And, um, and I've got several things that I like to take couples through just to make sure we hit some of the major bases in relationship. But in the first meeting, here's what I always do. I always hear your story. I want to know how you guys met, how you connected. It tells me a lot about you, learn a lot, glean a lot about each individual when we tell that story. And then I'll have the couple talk about like what's really good in their relationship, where the relational strengths are. But then I'll say, hey, between now and the day you get married, what are the three top things that you feel like the Lord wants to work on in your relationship? Right? And then the last thing that I do in meeting number one, I never do this beyond meeting number one. It's always in meeting number one. I will ask this question to both couple, both individuals. I will say, is divorce an option for you moving forward? And I'm all ears at that point. I'm just listening. Because I need to hear what I need to hear. Because that is a big question. And most of the couples that I marry will say, no. Like, we are, we are locked in. They wouldn't use this word, but maybe from now on we will. From Ruth chapter 1. Like, no, I'm clinging to this other person when we get married. Like, I'm clinging in said passionate, covenant loyalty. And I am not letting go. But if... Someone in the relationship here that I'm talking to says something like this. Is divorce an option? And they say, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We are not moving beyond that until we rectify that in your heart. Because here's what I know. If you enter into marriage and divorce is an option, you will get divorced. Because there will, there will be insufficient reasons for you to break that relationship apart. Like Naomi got to the point where enough bad things had happened that sister, she's bitter. She's self-describing herself as bitter because of her circumstances. And in her bitterness, what's she doing? Ruth, you go that way. I'm going this way. Deuces. That's, that's Naomi right there. Life will get to the place where it makes sense to break that thing off. Unless, in advance of those bittered circumstances, in advance of that you say, that is not an option. I will never consider that. That is nothing that we will entertain for the duration of our marriage, right? Now, if you say that, and if your heart is in that place, I will marry you. Because here's what I know to be true. No matter what difficulty you face, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what bittered circumstances find you, here's what I know to be true. Commit is the environment where good things can happen. You break that thing off, you can't find any more good in your relationship. You stick together in passionate covenant loyalty, and that's an environment where the Lord can then speak in and move in and navigate in in your embittered circumstances to bring life and hope and healing. But he can't do it without commitment. Right, Ruth chapter 1 verse 15, I want to read this. Here's Naomi's response to Ruth 
clinging to her, right? Naomi, I'm not letting you go. Here's Naomi's response. Check this. And she said, Naomi, see, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You, Ruth, you do the same. Return after your sister-in-law. Let's cut this thing off. Verse 16. But Ruth said. It's the second time we've seen a but Ruth. Because Ruth and Naomi are doing things different here. But Ruth said to her mother-in-law, quote, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I go. And where you lodge, I lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. That's covenant language, friends. Passionate covenant loyalty. Ruth continues, verse 17. Where you die, I die. And there, right there, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is covenant. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, Naomi said no more. Naomi gave up because she knew Ruth would not give up. Now, in the in the earthly ancestral lineage of Jesus, um, which, which is like so much of the Old Testament, right? it's the story of God's people, but it's also like specifically the people that came in the line of Jesus as Jesus was human. In the family line of Jesus in the Old Testament, we see so many powerful glimpses of who God is for us as the story unwinds. Right? Jesus is going to come. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King. He's the Messiah. We get glimpses of who he is and what he has come to do in the Old Testament story itself, in his ancestral lineage, right? Just as an example, because I'm going to talk about Ruth here, but I want to just prime the pump here, make sure we're on the same page. Remember when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, his son of the promise? Right? What Abraham was um, willing to do is he was willing to be the father who lays down his son as a sacrificial offering. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, the Lord never wanted Abraham to do that, but the picture there is that God, the Father, would actually be the one to do what Abraham did not. God, the Father, would be the one who lays down his son as a sacrificial offering. That's a powerful, powerful love. And Abraham and Isaac are in the lineage of Jesus, and Jesus then literally lives this thing out for us. He is the son who is offered. How about this? Um, David. David is the warrior king who picks a fight with anyone and anything that seeks to oppress God's people. You want to oppress God's people in the promised land? David's like, we're fighting right now. You and me, get it on, right? Goliath comes to oppress and to restrict God's people. What does David do? Well, the warrior, not the king yet, but that's who he is in his heart. And the warrior king then goes and does what? He picks a fight with Goliath. Why? Because Because Goliath is seeking to oppress God's people. So David, as the warrior king, steps in, picks a fight in order to bring liberation and freedom to God's people. David is in the ancestral lineage of Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? He came to pick a fight with all of the things that oppress and suppress his people. 
all the powers and principalities and authorities in the spiritual realms that are resistant to us, Jesus came and picked a fight with them, and any one who seeks to come after his children. That David is in the lineage of Jesus, and Jesus is the warrior king who does this for us. Now, to Ruth, because that's where we are this week. Ruth, here's who Ruth is. Because of Hesed, passionate covenant loyalty, because of that, what Ruth does is she clings to those who are trying to get away from her. Naomi's trying to get away. Break it off. Separate. Let's be done. Ruth says, no. And she grabs on, and she's not letting go. She's getting real clingy, okay? Clings. What does Jesus do to us? Because of his hesed, his passionate covenant loyalty, he clings to us, who regularly and often, don't we try and get away? I think the old song goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We say, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to go over here. You stay here. I'm going here. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm going with you. Jesus, I don't know where you are, but life is hard, and I just feel like you're a million miles away. I'm going to do my thing. You do yours. And Jesus is like, nope, clinging, right? God is for us Ruth. Matthew chapter 1. Ancestral lineage of Jesus points to who God is for us. The book of the genealogy of Jesus the King, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Skip ahead to verse 5. We go all the way. And Salmon Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by who? By Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. God is so many things for us. He is sacrificial love. He fights what oppresses us. All the while, he is clinging to us, and he is not letting us go, no matter what. No matter what you did this week, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you were thinking about 15 minutes ago, he doesn't let go. He clings to us the way Ruth clings to Naomi. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to reframe the word clingy. Can we? Can we be open to that? Our whole lives clingy has been bad. But this morning I want us to start reframing this a little bit in the context of what God actually says. Okay? We believe, we're going to shift this in our minds and in our hearts. We believe that to be clingy is bad because we associate clingy with needy. Anybody ever been called needy before? Don't raise your hand. We're going to look at you side-eyed, right? It's not, it's not a it's not a positive description of someone to be called needy. But we associate clingy and needy to be the same things. And here's what it means to be needy. Uh, a needy person is someone who is emotionally unstable and who leaks dignity and value. We've talked about that before. Like, some, like sometimes we leak the God-bestowed and the God-given honor and dignity that he gives us. We leak that and we just become empty, Right? So when you're emotionally unstable and we're leaking dignity, then we get needy, meaning we have an excessive need for others to fill us up. And in our neediness to have other people fill us up, we get real clingy, okay? That's how we normally think about it. I just want to say that this morning that that is not necessarily true of all clingy people, 
Let me describe. When you find someone who is walking in their full value and full dignity, that's a pretty cool thing, right? That's God. Doesn't have any leaks, always knows who he is, is always comfortable in his own skin, and he doesn't ever worry about his value or his worth. Right? So when someone's walking in their full value and dignity, we'll say that's God, who also has deep hesed, passionate covenant loyalty, what that person will do is they will grab a hold of others in relationship and they will not let go. Who's that sound like? Sounds like God, doesn't it? Right? Clingy. So would we ever use the word clingy to describe our Heavenly Father? Well, we should because we see it in the book of Ruth chapter 1. So it's possible to be clingy and not be needy. It's actually, here's, here's, let me describe who God is. Not only is he clingy, not needy, he's the exact opposite of clingy, needy. God himself is, we'll, we'll say, clingy, givey. See what I did there? I just took give and I put a Y at the end of it. Need, put a Y at the end, needy. Terrible word, right? God isn't needy, he's actually give E. God is uh, serve, servee. God is clingy to us, but he is bless, blessy. You can be clingy in powerfully beautiful and good ways. That is exactly who God is for us, and that's Ruth. But Ruth clung to her, not because Ruth is needy. No, Ruth is walking in her full dignity and full value. And Ruth has passionate covenant loyalty. And so out of those two things, what Ruth does is she wraps her arms around in a clingy way, but she gets real givey, servy, and blessy with Naomi for the rest of the book of Ruth. And here's the deal. I just challenge you. At some point this week, read through the rest of the book of Ruth. And what you will see is that upon the other side of Ruth clingy givey in that decision to stay with Naomi, there is so much blessing that falls on both of them. It's like the skies have been opened because an environment has been created for blessing to fall from the heavens to earth all over Ruth and all over Naomi. And the blessing expands and their family expands and their family grows. And the blessing extends not just to their immediate lives, but to like generations to come. And then there's David and then there's Jesus. And then the blessing that comes on the other side of this commitment from Ruth to Naomi, the blessing that actually cascades into eternity, into the future. The blessing keeps going, keeps going, keeps coming. Commitment is the environment where good happens. Ruth is who God is for us. So now let's move to application. Because right at every point in the Sunday morning, we've got to have an application, right? We've got to, all right, what do I do with this? All right? Here's where we probably, here's where maybe it would make sense for us to go. Here's the application. All right, church, let's do this. 
Let's be the clingy, givey ones. And then we'll just talk for the next five minutes about how we can do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do it in marriage. Let's do it with our kids. Let's do it at work. Let's do it in our neighborhood. Let's do it here in the church. Let's do it. Let's do it. High five. Go enjoy the rest of your day. How's that for an application? Probably not the right one. Makes sense. We could do that. Rah, rah. Let's be clingy, givey. But I don't think that's the right place to land this morning. Because the truth is that we can't do this for others until we have first received this from him. Right? If, if I have not received the passionate covenant loyalty from God, if I'm not living in that beautiful environment that he has already created for me, if I'm not living in that personally with him and allowing him to be clingy givey with me, and if I do not know that's where I reside, all of me, all of the time, no matter what, then my heart and my mind will never be positioned to display that to you. Me doing this to you is predicated upon me receiving this and living in this preferred environment that he has bestowed upon us. I think that's the challenging place for us to land, to know that God is passionate in his covenant loyalty towards us. And from that place, he wraps his arms around us and he won't let go no matter how we try to separate ourselves from him. Where you go, Brian, I go. Where you stay, I stay. You are not getting rid of me. And that is a beautiful thing when you understand the heart of God. That's where we need to live. Then, then it, seeks, it starts to change us. It, seeks to, it seeps into our very being. And then now we can just start living that out with each other in our marriages. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. You're not getting rid of me. In all the places where we need to live this out. Uh, in my early 20s, um, like the Lord had really started changing me. And I was a part of a community of people where we were following Jesus together, church community. And there was one night where five of us, like there was this like hangout. We were all hanging out in this place in a park. And then like everybody else went home and there were five of us laying in a field just like after everybody had gone. And we we're looking up at the stars and we're just talking. And I don't know how it came about, but somebody had this idea because like we were starting to understand who God is for us. And then this idea made sense to them. I don't think it was my idea it may have been, but I think it was probably somebody else's. They said, hey guys, what if, what if we committed to being friends for a month? We were already friends, but the idea was what if we committed? Like I didn't commit to the Lumina, so I treated it in a certain way. We don't commit to the vacation house. We treat it a certain way. What if we committed to friendship? And let's just say for 31 days. What if we did that? And we said, I, I, let's try it. That sounds interesting. That's kind of what God does with us. Let's give it a shot. And so we became what we call the committed five. We entered into a committed month-long friendship. And then as soon as we like signed, we, we didn't like sign a covenant in blood. We didn't do that. But we like, like let's do this. And then as soon as we did that, right, because commitment is the environment where good happens, none of us started thinking, great, I can't wait to see how everybody blesses me. Can't wait to see how everybody gives to me. Can't wait to see how they know. We did, that's not how we thought. Our first series of thinking was, what can I do for you? How can I seek to bless and serve 
you. That's what we started doing. We started like making each other dinner and cleaning each other's rooms and cleaning cars and writing encouragement notes. And like we'd gather together like regularly for breakfast and just to hang out. But over the course of that 31 days, do you know what happened to our friendships? They went ballistic. It like went exponential. One of the guys and one of the girls actually got married, right? They have like four kids right now. And we're still in relationship with them. But super cool. How, how did our friendships go exponential on the other side of let's be committed for 31 days as friends on a different level? Well, because commitment is the environment where good happens. Right? If you remember last summer, we started talking about this young adults group that we felt like we were supposed to launch here, right? Because we're just tired of seeing young adults leaving the church, leaving the church, leaving the church. And we know that a sermon on why God is who, like, uh, apologetics that God exists and why the church is valuable, that's not land in the plane for many young adults. So we said, we got to, like, introduce an experience of what it means to be the church. And so we launched it nine months ago, starting in September. We just finished the last um, weekly meeting point this past week. And do you know what, what I've witnessed through the nine months of these young adults being together? Right? And essentially the call was this. Let's commit to being together in a group and, and following Jesus together for nine months. On the other side of that nine months, and it took some time. Like a few months in, we're like, ah, oh, this is interesting. I'm not sure if anybody's getting anything. Oh, a few months after that, like, I think we're starting to connect. In the last two and a half months, this group has become like a big, fun family. I think most of them are here. They were out last night partying. Not in the partying that you're thinking. They were having a birthday party for somebody in the group. And they woke, like, they're just struggling to wake up this morning. Because they're being a community of friends that love each other. Why did they turn into that? Because commitment is the environment where good things happen. And so what do we do with that? Number one, we got to enter into the clinging arms of the Father who is passionately, covenantly loyal to us. And we got to know that's where we exist. He is not releasing us. He is not looking at us with frustration or anger. He's not going to like give us the boot because we messed up again. He's locked in. We're the ones, we're the Naomi's. We try to get away. He says, ah, I'm clingy to you. Clingy givey. We have to enter into that relationship and receive that from him and then from that place say oh god you are so good to me you are so good for me thank you for that now help me and show me how you want me to live this out with the people that you have placed in my life and now when that happens in enough people do you know what happens the kingdom of god breaks out and it's a beautiful thing but it doesn't happen on it, do, it doesn't happen without commitment doesn't happen with a short term, ah, we'll see how it goes. Commitment is the environment where good things happen. Band, come on back up. We're going to uh, sing a couple more songs, and we're actually going to take communion together. Um, communion is uh, essentially the clearest picture of what it looks like when God throws his arms around us. It is Jesus' body breaking and his blood spilling. That's passionate covenant loyalty. That is an agreement for relationship that is literally signed in blood. And Jesus commanded us to regularly take communion to be reminded of his passionate covenant loyalty, which, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, 
I, the, the right word would be it compels him to grab a hold of us in love and in faithfulness and in kindness. He can't do anything else. And so guys, come on forward, guys and girls, we're going to pass out the communion elements and celebrate that God is passionately loyal and faithful to us and he never lets us go. Just a reminder, um, this is for those who have received the gift of Jesus. If you have not yet, uh, I would encourage you um, to, re- to embrace the gift. <laughs> it's what it is. It's out of his sheer pleasure and desire to walk through life with you. Uh, he covers our sins so that we can be adopted back into the family. If you've never received the gift, I would encourage you to receive it. And it's that simple. It's just say, Jesus, I, 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 I receive your poured out blood and your broken body on my behalf. Thank you for loving me with this kind of loyal faithfulness I receive. And then heaven celebrate, the angels go crazy, and you're a part of the family of God forever, walking in the blessing that comes the generation and generation and generations after Ruth and this child-born king who would come to walk in her footsteps for us. So at some point in the next couple of songs, I invite you to take uh, the bread and to take the cup. They're all in there together. Um, and thank passionately loyal and loving God who reigns over us even.